I came across some funny quotes for, uh, for, for Mum's Day. Here's one. I'll start off with the most politically correct one. <laughs> Good mums let you lick the cake beater. Great mums turn it off first. <laughs> my nickname is Mum, but my full name is Mum, 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 Mum. <laughs> silence is golden. Unless you have kids, then silence is suspicious. My kids will walk right past their father sitting on the couch and come bang on the shower door for me to open up their fruit snack. <laughs> yes, I am a stay-at-home mum. Go ahead, ask me what I do. I dare you. <laughs> so, we're in the middle of our series, Bang On, because it's week three in a five-week series on relationship mechanics. And so we're looking at how We're looking at how you and I can do our relationships well. Because one thing we know about you is that you desire to have good relationships in your world just like me. One thing I know about you is that when relationships are not going great for you, life is difficult. There's a tension. There's an unease. There's a heaviness. There's a baggage that follows us around because relationships, when they're tough, they really take their toll on us. This, um, this week we heard a, a story from one of our friends here at this church actually and he was telling us about this colleague in his workplace who was telling um, a few blokes this story that um, he found out that a 19-year-old guy had asked his 15-year-old daughter to text him some photos of her dressed in not very much. And so this guy was telling his colleagues that he... Um, He was in rage, of course, and so he found out who this guy was. He actually found out that the whole thing happened because through a series of events, this guy had then taken this photo of this girl and showed it to a group of other mates. And it so happened that one of the other mates was a friend of the family and leaked it through to the dad. So the dad decided he was going to track this guy down. So he does, and he grabs his address, and he makes it out to his house, and he knocks at the door, And the guy's dad opens the door and says, sorry, mate, he's not home. And so what does this guy of the 15-year-old do? He beats the dad up. So you and I probably sit there and go, really? I mean, we get that you are raging. We get that that is so not okay. We get that that pierces a dagger through any parent's heart. But really? You bash the dad? Really? And whilst you and I wouldn't necessarily go and bash the dad up, you and I probably wouldn't land at the same function with the dad and go, hey, bud, your son's a disgrace, but hey, you seem like a really nice man. Do you want to sit at my table today? Because you and I have a way of bundling people up and putting them in the same category. And you and I have a way of treating certain people who treat certain people in certain ways. And hey, at the end of the day, we convince ourselves that birds of a feather flock together, right? You see, I wonder whether kind comes to mind when you think about the behaviour of this dad. There was a guy in the Bible, um, and it's recorded for us in ancient history, that this particular incident took place with a guy in the scripture by the name of David. And he found himself in a very challenging situation with his boss. Now, many of you who were raised in churches might know the story. The guy's name was David and his boss was Saul. Now, Saul 
was the first king of Israel. And Saul actually headhunted David to be on his team because he heard about the fact that this little guy, David, had been at war with a giant by the name of Goliath. And those two names might resonate for some of you. And this little wimpy guy, David, had actually killed the giant Goliath with a stone. And so as any sensible king would, he was like, I so need this guy on my team (laughs) because we go out to war a whole lot. And if I can get a guy on my team who knows how to kill a giant with a stone, I need to recruit him. And so he did. And he loved, Saul loved David very, very much. In actual fact, he loved him so, so much that he put him in charge of his armies and he was a chief within the army. And I just want to pick up on a piece of, um, on, on a passage in scripture in 1 Samuel 18 and starting from verse 5. And this is where it all fell apart between the relationship between Saul and David. And it reads this, it says, whatever mission Saul sent him on, David was so successful that Saul gave him a high rank in the army. This pleased all the troops and Saul's officers as well. When the men were returning home after David had killed the Philistine, the women came out of all the towns of Israel to meet King Saul with singing and dancing, celebrating the joyous win, with joyful songs and with timbrels and lairs. As they danced, they sung, Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. Saul was angry. This refrain displeased him greatly. They have credited David with tens of thousands, he thought, but me with only thousands? What more can he get but the kingdom? And from that time on, Saul kept a close eye on David. Now, if you read between the lines, jealousy kicked in. Saul was like, huh? I'm meant to be the king around here. Suddenly they're singing his praises. Well, I'll show him. And it all went downhill from there. We read that uh, that Saul actually tried to kill David many a times. He tried to spear him twice. He tried to send him out to the most aggressive of armies so that they could kill him. He absolutely had it in for him. Meanwhile, Jonathan, who was one of Saul's sons, took a real liking to David and absolutely loved David. And these two had a bond together. In actual fact, Saul stood in the, um, Jonathan stood in the gap between Saul and David. And he often went to his dad and said, Dad, don't kill him. Spare his life. He's a really nice guy. He's a good guy. And he actually tried to save David's life. And David was very aware of this. But nonetheless, although um, Saul had committed to sparing David's life and listening to Jonathan's advice, Eventually, the jealousy just got the better of him and one thing led to to the next and he continued to to track him down, continued to to want to kill him. In actual fact, David fled for his life for seven whole years. To cut a long story short, we end up with a very unusual sequence of events where Saul and his sons die at war and David becomes king. David becomes king. So here we have it that David is now in authority. He can do anything he wants. He's at this point in his life where he's like, hmm, revenge could be sweet. But what does David do? He gets an absolute bee in his bonnet. He's king. He can do anything he wants. He's like, you know what? No one can mess with me. And he gets this bee in his bonnet. And what does he decide to do? Of course, 
he decides to show kindness to the household of Saul. What? You what? Like you've got your moment, you can get them all back and you choose to show kindness to the household of Saul, the guy who tried to kill you? Really? You got rocks in your head? How do I know that? I know that because in the next piece of scripture that I want to pick up, it says this. It's in 2 Samuel and chapter 9 and it says this. David goes to the household of Saul and he says, he asks, is there anyone still left at the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now remember at this point, Jonathan also died at war with his dad. So as far as David's concerned, his buddy Jonathan was dead, but the mean man, the dad, was also dead. And so that, that, that's how it was. That's who's alive and who's dead in this story. And he says, is there anyone who I can show kindness to for Jonathan's sake? The king asked again, is there no one still alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness, show God's kindness? Ziba, who was one of the servants, answered the king, there is still a son of Jonathan. He's lame in both feet. His name is Mephibosheth. Say that really fast. Mephibosheth. Turn to the person beside you and go, Mephibosheth. <laughs> yeah, thanks very much. I've been learning that all week. But I get, I bet if I sort of said Master Chef really fast, you wouldn't know the difference. Yeah? Yeah. So when Master Chef, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, <laughs> he said, Don't be afraid. David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Do you get this? We have a situation where David could have absolutely taken it out on all of Saul's ancestors like the guy at the start of our story. He could have taken it out on everyone because he ran for his life for seven long years. He lived in fear for a very long time. But instead, he chose to go to the house of Saul and find anyone who he can show kindness to. And he finds the grandson of Saul with that funny name. So he finds Master Chef and he wants to look after him. And the scripture says to us that he says to Master Chef, you will always eat at my table. You will always eat at my table. So what's happened there? Like, is the reason why David could show so much kindness, the fact that he was just an all-round nice guy? Was he born with this really gentle DNA and with a doormat, you know, wiring that helped him do this? Well, actually, if we can dig up a little bit of dirt on poor old David and track ourselves forward a couple of chapters... In 2 Samuel chapter 11, we're reminded that actually he wasn't always an all-round nice guy because he had an affair with a woman named Bathsheba and he got her pregnant. And then to try and hide his immorality, he then tried to kill her husband, Uriah. So the reason why David showed kindness to the household of Saul when he could have done otherwise was not because he was an all-round nice guy. But we can probably find our answer in that very first part that we read, and if we were to ask him, but why David? His answer was, for Jonathan's sake. For Jonathan's sake. You see, David was loyal. You see, David understood what Jonathan had done for him. David did not forget that Jonathan tried to spare his life 
that Jonathan got in between him and Saul and tried to save his life. He remembered that and it sat so heavy with him and he had so much gratitude and appreciation for that act of kindness and that relationship that he wanted to show kindness to the household that represented that. You see, Jesus also showed kindness to you and I. Jesus showed kindness to you and I at the cross. You see, whilst David showed kindness when he didn't get kindness, Jesus also showed kindness all the way to death where he didn't necessarily get kindness. Because you see, Romans 5, 8, a verse in the Bible says that whilst you and I were still sinners, whilst we were separated and unfriendly and unkind to God, he sent his only son to die for you and I. And so what I want to say is this, that kind is not an option for God's kind for a number of reasons. See, if you are a churchgoer, if you call yourself a Christian, if you've been a follower of Jesus all your life, then you don't have a choice on kind for a number of reasons. Firstly, because you are part of a bigger family. You are part of a family where God is the dad and we're all the kids. And if you ask any parents, they'll tell you, mess with my kids, you mess with me. So that's one reason. But the other reason is this, is that kind is not an option for God's kind because if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, you have the DNA of Jesus on the inside of you. You are a little Jesus. You don't have a choice because that's your identity. You don't know how to be anything else. You were born and created to be kind. Your identity is kind. You see, life and life's hurts and life's pains and life's challenges actually tempt us to be unkind. But the truth of the matter is that you and I were born to be kind. You and I were, were, have an identity on the inside that's Jesus' identity. And so kind is not an option for God's kind. Kind is on the inside already. It just wants to ooze out of us. And if you are a non-Christian here today, if you wouldn't necessarily call yourself a follower of Jesus and if you're here to celebrate mom or just to visit us today, then I'm so glad you're here as well. Because whilst that might not necessarily apply to you, it's so important for you to realise that in moments and in situations where you've not been the recipient of kind, that's just because someone accidentally slipped up, not because that's what Jesus teaches. And so kind is not an option for God's kind. You see, there's only one instance where you are allowed to be unkind. This week, our 16-year-old son got his driver's permit, whatever you call it. And so I took him out driving on day one, and he did a really good job for a first day, and then I took him out again on day two. And so we're driving down this narrow side street, and this, um, this oncoming car was sort of coming towards us, and it stopped, and it let Luke go around him. And so, um, you know, Luke goes, you know, he, he's showing all kinds of good manners, and he goes, thank you. And I'm like, keep your hand on the steering wheel. Five minutes later, we're down the road again, and this other car gives him an opportunity to go through, and so he goes, thank you. And I'm like, 
I do not want to tell you again. Keep your hands, both of them, on the steering wheel. Forget about being nice right now. <laughs> that is the only time you're allowed to not be kind. <laughs> so some of you were sort of going, oh, yeah, Susie, <clears throat> great. We're here to talk about relationship mechanics. We get it. You're simplifying it, making it seem like, you know, I just have to be kind a little bit and everything will work out and all my relationship issues will be perfect and sorted. And I'm not really suggesting that. But what I'm suggesting is this. You see, I'm not naive enough to suggest that kindness would turn this Volkswagen buggy into a Volkswagen Nardo Coupe. Am I the only one in this room who's done my homework on Volkswagens? Look up how much it's worth, right? But what I am here to say, it might, <laughs> but what I am here to say is this, is that kindness will definitely protect you from baking down on the side of the road when all the lights have been flashing a warning. Kindness will also protect you from crashing at high speed because you've forgotten to slow it down. Kindness will also save you some money repairing the damage because you forgot to look after it. You see, kindness, kindness might not solve all of your problems, but kindness shifts the atmosphere. Kindness attracts God's favour. Kindness makes you feel like something on the inside, that identity part of you, is at peace. Kindness causes a ripple effect. Kindness raises the benchmark. Kindness helps other people go, I want to be like that. Because you see, on the inside of you and on the inside of me is something that craves for kindness. On the inside of you and on the inside of me is something that wants to be kind because that's who we are. You see, no one's sitting here today saying, well, gee, <laughs> didn't think today would be so irrelevant because I don't really care about being kind. In actual fact, I want everyone to know that I'm an unkind person. You see, that's not the thinking of any person in this room because you and I want to be kind people. That's who we are. <clears throat> the other thing about kindness is that you and I know not only is it a boomerang, but it's also contagious. I read this study and it says this. It says in 2009, it was reported that an anonymous 28-year-old man in Michigan walked into a clinic and donated a kidney. It set off a pay-it-forward type riffle effect, which is, what it, which is what it was technically named, where the spouses or other family members of recipients of a kidney or other family members of recipients of a kidney donated one of theirs to someone else in need. The domino effect, as it became known in the medical industry, spanned the length and breadth of the United States of America, where 10 people received a new kidney as a consequence of that one anonymous donor. You see, kindness is contagious. But I just want to clarify one thing before we move on, and it's this. It's that kindness is not the absence of unkindness. Kindness is not the absence of unkindness. Because the absence of kindness is just nothing, indifference, blah. 
kindness has to have a personality. Kindness needs a face. Kindness needs hands and feet and it needs to behave in a certain way. And I just want to unpack a few practical ways that you and I can show kindness even where kindness is not warranted like David did. But before we do, I just want to throw up this little model and show you, it's called the communication pie chart, and actually show you the impact of anything we communicate and how it's broken down before we move on. The yellow segment shows that the greatest impact that words can have in a relationship only account for 7%. So the words that we speak only account for 7% of impact or influence. Then we have 38%, and that's a bigger chunk. And that suggests that our voice, our tone, our modulation, our, pause, our pauses, the way that we speak, yeah, you've heard the phrase, it's not what you say, it's how you say it, yeah, accounts for 38%. And so when we speak with people and when we engage for people, that takes on a bigger chunk. But what takes on the biggest chunk is this, it's 55% of our influence comes from our body language, if you like, our movement, our body language, the way that we interact, but everything. It's everything about us. It's, it's all the physical stuff. So it's the handing over of a gift. It's paying for the coffee, forking out the money. It's a whole stack of things. And so I thought that that was helpful to put up because sometimes we think, oh, it's Mother's Day. I'll just dump this present by mum's bedside and I'll walk away and not say anything and I've done well. But communication comes in a whole spectrum and in all sorts of quadrants. Alternatively, we might go, well, I've said Happy Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day, Mum. I'm done. Well, that only accounts for 7%. And she's still needing the rest of the quadrant. So I've popped that up to then lead us into this. Now, as I sat with this, these are just my everyday brainstorms of what kindness looks like. Yours will be different. Yours might be the same. You might have more. These are not my value system on kindness and all they be yours, but they're just everyday ideas on how I can show kindness, but how I also receive kindness. And as I thought through this, this is what I came up with in no particular order, except for this one. Ask God to give us a heart that is kind like his. Be intentional. Remember things about people. Give words and expression to what we notice about others. Make lots of eye contact. Smile a lot. Say please and thank you a lot. Pay for coffee. Let it go and don't major on the minors. Err on the side of more words than less words. Respond to text messages with more than one word. Go out of your way for people. Don't backstab. Don't revenge. Don't ignore people. Be friendly. Be inclusive. Make apologies and accept apologies. And do things that would make people's eyes light up. You see, how do we know if we're doing these things well? We could simply ask ourselves, am I a kind person? But I don't know that that really cuts it as a question. Because you see, we all have different benchmarks for what defines kind. And so if I ask myself what defines kind, I might refer to the fact that I replied to someone's text message within a week as a very kind thing to do because, you know, I might be thinking, well, at least they got a message from me. <laughs> Whereas someone else might be thinking, anything longer than 24 hours is just unkind. 
And so I didn't really know that asking the question, was I kind, nails it. And so I want to challenge us with another question this morning, and it's this. Would I come to mind when they think of kind? Would I come to mind when they think of kind? When someone thinks about a kind person that they know, would I come to mind? Would you come to mind? And that's the question that I want to pose this morning. You see, God in his incredible ways and his ways of making things a little easier for us created our body with his capacity to actually release a hormone within us that's released in our brain, which is our body's natural form of heroin and morphine and that high feeling. Our body actually releases a natural chemical when we are kind. It's actually termed as the helper's high or the kindness high. And I love when God was wiring us up (laughs) that he created this because he's always got these exceptional ways of making a little bit easier things that are not always easy. And so it's funny that our body actually even feels good when we're kind because it's our identity, it's who we were created to be. And so this morning, It's Mother's Day and it's a day where we sort of go, yep, let's be kind. It's a day full of kindness. Some people, it's a day lacking in kindness and so it heightens the consciousness around kindness. But on a day like today and as a lifestyle moving forward, how would it be if you and I decided that we would tap into the identity that already sits on the inside of us the little Jesus that sits on the inside of us and that we would give that arms and legs and that we would commit to a kindness revolution, not just because we want to do kind things, but because we are little Jesuses with hands and feet in this earth. And so as the team comes up to close, I just want to leave us with that thought. You see, be kind It's who we are, not just what we do. And so just like David was able to extend himself and show kindness to the household of Saul, when in actual fact any of us should have gone, dude, this is your moment. You don't have to be really mean, but you can show them who's boss now. But you see, he knew, he knew his true identity. He also knew what Jonathan had done for him. And you and I are reminded this morning that we have a Jesus who went to the cross for us. We have a Jesus who went to the cross for us in his ultimate act of kindness. And if you eyeball the person beside you, they're his kids too. And so this morning, I just want to spur us on to be the people we really want to be to be the kind of people that believe in kind, to give that arms and legs and to work out how I can be like David, like Jesus, and like the version of Susie that I wanna be. Amen.